What's up, guys, and welcome back to episode three of the Rush Hour podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Cavera, and we're hey, adding guys. a new addition to the podcast. Our special guest, Hunter Delgurcio, is now an official member of the podcast. Hey. Uh, we liked what we saw last time, and the TikTok blew up, so you had to get him on. Also, our lovely producer, Alex D'Ambrosio, is always back with hey. us again. And uh, we're going to get it started like we always do on the podcast, right up front. Julius Randle has just been announced as an all-star for the New York Knicks. We're recording this after the Knicks' loss uh, on Tuesday, February 23rd. Paul, take it away on your thoughts on Julius Randle. I mean, great player, obviously. He's been – this is a breakout season for him. He's playing great. You know, he's uh, had to deal with a lot of adversity, you know, coming off the, uh, the bad season he had last year, averaging like three turnovers a game. So, you know, he got them down. He's playing a lot better now. And, you know, he deserved to make the all-star team. The Knicks are not – the Knicks are not uh, over 500 team and he's, we're only two games under 500 and he's, you know, the key player in that role. So, you know, I'm proud of him for making the all-star game. He deserves it. And, you know, hopefully he balls out in the all-star game. And uh, just to recap from tonight's game, uh, you know, the refs got a little crazy at the end there. Uh, we Screw saw them. a couple, couple calls, <laughs> a couple calls did not go their way. Uh, specifically uh, Kelly Oubre driving in. I think it was Randall on, on Oubre's back. And then you had, uh, was it Barrett, Barrett jumping up? Barrett. And, and I think uh, even Mike Breen said he jumped straight up and the refs rule that he kind of Ubre jumped into him. Ubre jumped into him and they I called mean, a foul on, it, on Barrett. It is what it is. It's a tough call. Uh, we ended up getting a, our own call with that awful thing on Peyton. Oh, for uh, Peyton. He missed the free yeah. throw anyway. Uh, but, you yeah. know, it, it's uh, kind of feels like this is a continuing thing with RJ Barrett the struggling on the court. Uh, I think he only had around four points, maybe five, had some rebounds, but. I mean, he has to step it up if this Knicks team wants to go pretty far. I think we're still in the mix, it's a, it, but it, it, it's unfortunate. Derek it, Rose, though, did play well. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I I do think that the Knicks could make a move this before the deadline. I do think they could make a huge move and, you know, even deal off Barrett because Barrett – I mean, Barrett's very inconsistent. Yeah, he's been inconsistent all year. He's been, you know, good one day, terrible the next, and right now he's on a spurt of not very good games and – if he wants to stay on the Knicks, he has the potential to, but he needs to show that he has potential and, you know, actually like start being a little more consistent, you know, like 15 points a game, you know, if he gets up there, then I don't want to trade him. But right now, like a guy like Levine, who's basically on the trade block at this point, they don't really want him there. They're not winning. He deserves to win. So a guy like him, maybe you bring in, make a push in the playoffs. So I don't know, John, what do you think? Uh, well, oh, speaking of Zach Levine, I don't know. I, obviously, I just talked about how Barrett struggled. I don't know if you want to get rid of him so soon. Uh, I think we saw this with the Timberwolves a couple years back. They had a roster that was loaded. Zach Levine, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins at the time. And, and they were a team that was kind of like the Knicks where they uh, overperformed and they, they played well. And they ended up trading away uh, Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler. We saw how that worked out. So uh, I think uh, there's a risk uh, to be run there that I think you can maybe keep him for another year. I don't think this is the next year to win a title. And I think... No, uh, no, no, no. For sure, I agree I, with you. I think I, you obviously. should wait. Unless you're getting a guy who is a long-term deal. So you need a yeah, guy I who's got three to four years on his contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Levine, Levine, you don't guarantee that he's going to come back in the next two years. I think his deal's either up this year or next year. So you don't guarantee that he comes back in those next two years because, you know, the Knicks right now do not have the pieces to compete for a championship whatsoever. Like we're still a couple pieces off. We don't have a franchise point card whatsoever. I mean, quickly could be that we, we don't know yet, 
Too early, but though. It's, yeah, obviously, it's way too early to tell, but we don't have a franchise point guard. Our, our franchise point guard is Alfred Payton, who <laughs> only makes himself good. N- never passes to his teammates. We have Julius Randle as our point guard on the court. So, you know, franchise point guard would help us out a lot, but, you know, we'll find, we'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, I hope so. Um, the Knicks also allowed 2,000 fans to start attending the games, and I think that was, that was uh, awesome. pretty fun to see. That, that Obviously, was awesome. they couldn't get the win, but I think the uh, MVP chants for Randall tonight were uh, pretty hilarious. Uh, yeah, no, uh, that, oh, that, was, that was very, very funny. Also, the Nets allowed some fans, and I think it was at a lower capacity, but who cares about the Nets anyway? No, I'm just kidding. But they actually uh, did well, play pretty well. The, the Nets had a good game, and I think uh, that's continued. I think they're on at least a four- or five-game winning streak now, uh, even with, uh, with the absence of Kevin Durant. Uh, I think that Lakers game really defined what they could be if they play decent defense. And I think you're going to consistently see that from this Nets team. I think they've hit. Yeah. The but yeah. And, but and even, even Kyrie Irving's, even Kyrie Irving's tweeted after the game, after the Lakers game that they won, I think I won by like 15 points. Mm-hmm. He tweeted a healthy Lakers team. Wouldn't be that big of a, like it wouldn't be that big of a difference in points. Yeah. Healthy Anthony Davis makes that game a completely different game. Healthy Kevin Durant also makes that game a completely different game. So exactly. Yeah. You know, I want to see both those teams play each other at full health. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to see it where I got Anthony Davis not playing and Kevin Durant not playing because those are two of the, that, I mean, Durant's debatably the best player on that team and Anthony Davis is the second best player on the team, but not by much. Like Anthony Davis is still a top five player in basketball. Uh, Paul, I just like to hear your take. We want to talk about some all-star snubs here. And then I think there were plenty of them. But I mean, I, before I give you the chance, I think it's a little ridiculous that these NBA insiders and all these guys, they, they claim all their snubs and they go nuts and then they don't say who they would replace. It's like they don't yeah. want to get into yeah. an argument. So, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to give our snub, and we're also going to give our replacement for the snub. So, Paul, yeah. I'm going to give you so, uh, your um, chance. First, you have the guy from the Western Conference here. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm i a big fan of Devin Booker. Uh, I saw Devin Booker play. I've watched the last couple games, and dude's been phenomenal his last, like, 15 games after he came back off injury. He started off the season very shaky, and – you know, after that bubble run he had last year at B, to try to get his team to the playoffs, that was sick. Everybody could say that was sick because he dropped like 59 points a game and just destroyed everybody in the bubble. He started off pretty bad this year, and uh, I had him on my fantasy team. I was actually very shocked that he was playing bad. And then he automatically – he just stepped up just like the player he is. Now he's averaging – I think tw- he's averaging like 25, 4, and 4, and he's not in the All-Star game. I mean, I just don't understand – how he's on and I would even say, you know, over his teammate, Chris Paul, I don't think that's my replacement, but I'm saying like Chris Paul having a good year, he's, you know, helping that team out a lot, but that's a team. that's like, I don't know. Like Chris Paul isn't the number one option there. So it's like Devin Booker's outplaying him. I also think that Anthony Davis did make the reserves. Anthony Davis is hurt. So I don't know if he's going to play in the All-Star game. So I think um, Devin yeah. Booker should step up. In I'm, his a, spot. I'm assuming you would replace, but uh, you do have to remember that since Anthony Davis is a big man, they might try to sub in a guy who a is forward, a big man, yeah. which would stink because yeah. I think that Devin Booker deserves it. Um, yeah. My take, I have a guy from the Eastern Conference, and I'm going to go with DeMontis Sabonis from the Pacers. Uh, I think this guy has more than deserved his chance. And I know he was in contention with Randall, and that kind of scared me. But the guy I want to sub him out here is for uh, Vucevic. Uh, if you just look at the stats uh, – it's pretty clear that Sabonis is winning in that category. But uh, moving further on, I think the fact that DeMontis Sabonis is leading his team to a four seed uh, in this pretty tough Eastern Conference says a lot about him and says a lot about how he's leading this team. And I think Nikola Vucevic, he's a nice player. 
put up 16 a game, 10 boards. He's averaging a double-double. It's not bad, but I'm just not looking at the guy and saying, I want to put him on my all-star team. I think DeMontis Zavonis is a leader. I think he's a winner. And I think that Nikola Vucevic is a guy that can, on a good team, get you maybe four or five extra wins. DeMontis Zavonis is a guy that's going to lead you to the playoffs year in and year out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't, I mean, obviously I could see, you know, how Nikola Vucevic made it because the Mavericks are overperforming and he's helping that team win, obviously, because, yeah, I said Nikola Vucevic, the Magic, he's helping them win. You said the Mavericks. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, whatever. we can talk about Chris so Stapp's Porzingis, uh, rumors about him oh, being. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can. Yeah. And also, so, you, you know, Chris Stapp's Porzingis, uh... you know, uh, I, I actually uh, hated the trade when we uh, originally made the trade. I think we I still lost it. that trade reasonably. I mean, we got no uh, one. There, really there, there, defi- there definitely is, you know, like the argument, like the Knicks won the trade, the Knicks lost the trade. The Knicks really didn't win that trade. Like you, you bring in like all these like outside factors. If you look solely at the trade, they did not win the trade. Like unless we get a stud in the draft, mm-hmm. like with the Mavericks pick look at that trade we didn't get anybody that made our team a whole lot better in that trade solely i think i think like, what many obviously when if you forget is that that trade mainly was centered around the cap space the knicks would be getting to get a star yeah. like kevin durant yeah. or kyrie irving that didn't happen that was julius randall that money and we would have gotten julius randall anyway we had the money for him anyway it was meant for multiple stars to come to the new york knicks didn't happen yeah. so i mean unless this knicks pick turns out to be a stud i think we can say that you know, it's kind of even for both teams. I, I I don't know if you could consider Chris, Chris Epps isn't playing great. Win. Chris Epps yeah. isn't playing great right now. Like that's the only thing like people are saying, like Chris Epps isn't playing great. That's why like the Knicks could indirectly have won this trade. Like, I don't know how quickly he's being brought into the equation of the trade. Like that trade did had nothing to do with quickly. We got a pick from the Clippers that gave us Morris. quickly. So, yeah. For Marcus Morris, which had nothing to do with the Chris Epps Porzingis trade. So in, indirectly, there's nothing to do with quickly there. So look solely at the trade for Zingas was probably, you know, worth all of the things we got back. But Dennis Smith Jr. never panned out. <laughs> and obviously, you know, he's not on a team anymore. I mean, but... uh, did, did we get Reggie Bullock in that trade or did we sign him? I think we signed an extra. Did no, we signed, we signed Reggie Bullock. Yeah, I, I don't know who else we got in that trade. I don't remember the exact details. I know we got two first round picks. I know we got Dennis Wood Jr. I don't know if we got. I, we got one other guy. We still know we got a guy Wesley in that Matthews. Trade, yeah, and Wesley we Matthews. instantly gave him away. I think he was gone. Yeah. In, in like I think we bought days. him out. I think we bought him out. So yeah. it was like, yeah, he he wasn't very good. Yeah. But obviously Porzingis, you know, now he's getting rumored around to get traded. I don't think he gets traded. Neither I think I. he's. I, I think you know he's coming off an in, he's coming off injuries. You know he's obviously you know seven three, a little bit of a skinnier guy at his size. So it's like. He, it's hard to stay healthy at his size, so you know that's not on him. But you know, I w- I would hope because I like Porzingis when he was on the Knicks. So you know, I hope he plays well. I hope he gets back into it. And, you know, I hope he you know gets back to full shape. But I don't want to talk about basketball for too long. So let's go talk about baseball. So uh, we're gonna do some offseason recaps today. Uh, we'll go with the Mets first. So uh, me and John are gonna talk about the Mets. You know, what? I think so, we've been talking for a while though. Do you want to give this one to oh, yeah, the yeah, Yankees yeah. so they can yeah. So let's right, go. Al, let's go with Hunter, little Yankees. Fair now. Fair. I'll take it away. All right. I'm gonna start off with the Yankees, and um, I think you look at the Yankees as uh, this Yankees offseason as a big question mark. I mean, how how Stein, Steinbrenner said it best. I mean, he he lost some amount of money in baseball due to COVID, and um, I think in this in the earlier in the offseason, you look at it like, listen, uh, 
we don't know if we're going to sign DJ. We're not going to sign Tanaka. We're not going to sign Paxton. And then you got your whole starting rotation as question marks. I mean, you got your rookies, Davey, Clark, and um, Albert, Albert uh, Brayu. They're just big question marks. And then you got DJ on a huge question mark. And um, you didn't really know what you were going to get. But, I mean, as the offseason coming to an end right here, I would say that the Yankees actually did a pretty good job because I think that it's either going to sink or swim. I think um, the signing of Corey Kluber and James, and getting the trade from Jamison Tyone, I mean, they could possibly be great, but at the same time, they could also get injured and it could also fall apart. I mean, if you go down the whole Yankees rotation, it's all question marks besides Garrett Cole. You know where you're going to get at Garrett Cole. I mean, I'm going to go down the list for you right now. Domingo Herman, question mark. Jamison Tyone, question mark. Corey Kluber, question mark. Our three rookies, question mark. And I just want to hand it off to Bear on that note. Well, the one thing that I absolutely love about the Yankees offseason is that we just got DJ back. That was the biggest question mark going into the offseason. Would we sign DJ LeMahieu to the long-term deal that he wanted? Like, you, DJ LeMahieu is a guy that you have to keep into the lineup with the impact that he has. And a guy in a just swing and try to hit the ball as far as you can Yankees lineup. DJ LeMahieu is kind of like a refresher. He's a guy that just stay in there with 300, slap the ball the other way. He gets the offense going when other guys are slumping, like Void will slump, Glaber will slump, Stanton will definitely slump. I mean, DJ just keeps that lineup going. Uh, you got the other guys like Kluber. I love the Kluber signing. Uh, Kluber's one of my favorite pitchers. He's got great stuff coming off a couple of injuries. He's, again, another question mark, like I was saying. Uh, how's he going to do in the hitter-friendly fr- uh, Yankees ballpark? Uh, is he going to give up the long ball a lot? You really don't know. Same thing goes for Tyone. Again, injury-riddled. But the one thing that I abs- I do love about the Yankees offseason is not the big guys, but it's kind of the small signings. Like Darren O'Day, Jay Bruce, not guys that are going to have an immediate impact, but late in the playoff run, those are guys that I can see making that big impact that will lead the Yankees to a, a World Series, hopefully. But Yeah, I'm going to touch off that. Um Signing guys like Jay Bruce and uh, Darren O'Day, you got these all rookies coming up. I mean, I wouldn't say the Yankees bullpen's the as the best it was uh, the best that it's been. I mean, I it's still obviously very good. I don't know, it's just not the names that are there anymore. Um, and signing like Darren O'Day, you know, going with that young uh, pitching core, that's just going to help a lot. And you know, Jay Bruce always. I don't know, just a feared hitter in the league, and I think that's a great signing. And I look at the Yankees off offseason as a big question mark, and it's either going to completely rise and we're going to make it to the ship, or we're going to um, completely crumble. That's my action. Oh, you were lagging a bit there, but we ba- we basically got the whole one at the end there. Um, and I also think that, uh, like you pointed out, Jay Bruce and Darren O'Day are going to be good assets. And I think, Barry, you had a great point there on the on that playoff push. You saw guys like Juan Uribe and uh, guys like uh, Kelly Johnson, Kelly Johnson, who had big impacts in that World Series, and not even the World Series, but the playoffs in general. Juan Uribe didn't really play in the playoffs, but guys down the stretch that were some extra depth in the, and they, they helped that roster. And I think another underrated signing for you guys was Justin Wilson. He was on our New York Mets. Uh, and I, I liked him. He had a bad 2020. I wouldn't say bad, but a mediocre 2020. Um, and I think that's a good sign that's going to help you. Some extra lefty debt that uh, the Mets could have used easily. But uh, touching on the Mets, I think me and Paul are going to go over a little bit uh, Mets offseason. Uh, what went wrong? What went right? And uh, what we're okay with? So I think I'll start it off. Um, I talked previously that uh, the Mets offseason uh, wasn't as uh, very impressive. 
But I think I was more talking about uh, free agency in general because the trade with Lindor and Carrasco really puts Extremely this impressive. over the top. But uh, I think that everybody kind of knows that that trade is very impressive. But I think some of the under-the-radar signings that we have to go with is a guy like uh, – sorry, I'm blanking on him. Taiwan Walker, there we go, number 99. He just uh, officially – uh, talked about his number. his number yeah yeah but uh i think that uh i think that that's a great signing for the mets it kind of reminds me of a jameson tyone type signing from the yankees he's a guy who's been hurt coming from an injury but he had a good 2020 uh, i think he had a pretty good year before that coming off the injury um and i think he's a guy who's going to bring depth to the to the uh mets pitch rotation that desperately needs it because you have guys on that roster that have the potential to get injured jacob Degrom has had his injury flaws in the past if he goes down i don't know if we're going to be looking at a very good 20 uh 21 um, no, no, not at all. Other guys in that rotation, although Noah Syndergaard's coming back, you don't really know what he's going to be when he comes back. Uh, Marcus Stroman has a tendency to get hurt. He had the ACL. He had the uh, calf before the season started, opted out due to COVID. So I think that the extra depth will help. Guys like a Jordan Yamamoto going to help that depth. Um, some good bullpen signings that we had. I think Trevor May was a, gr- a really good one. I like that Aaron signing. Aaron, I, I think Aaron Loop is a crazy underrated signing. Nobody talks about it. But that's a lefty arm that's really going to help the Mets, and I think that's going to kind of soften the blow of Justin Wilson. But, uh, Paul, if you want to talk about maybe a guy like James McCann or anybody like that. Uh, I, I Touching on what you said last week about how the Mets the Mets wanted to, you know, go out and sign, like, Springer, Real Muto. Like, they wanted to go out get guys, and they didn't get the guys that they were talking about getting. They said they were in conversation with everybody. And instead of getting those guys, they got, you know, a little bit of a less – like, they, st- they stepped down from that. But like a guy like James McCann, who's been you know pretty good in his limited appearances with the White Sox, like the White Sox really didn't play him all that much, and you know he was great for them when he did play, and he has pretty comparable numbers to some of the best catchers in the league. Not saying he is one of the best catchers in the league, but you know he has the comparable numbers to them. And I think he's an upgrade over Wilson Ramos overall. I think he's a better defender. You know, obviously he runs faster than Wilson Ramos because you know Wilson Ramos likes to eat donuts a lot, but. <laughs> You know, was like unnecessary. it wasn't unnecessary. <laughs> uh, he, he lost us games last year. Listen, I did see him on Instagram. He was he was kind of throwing up 80s. He was throwing up 80 pounds dumbbells uh, kind of easily there. But uh, he, he does have a love of McDonald's if you go to his Instagram account. But that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Uh, he has commented on <laughs> a Mets TikTok or something. Eh, it's all right. Well, uh, moving on, we're going to do a, we're going to uh, make this a daily series every time we post. Uh, there's so many comparisons you can make to the Mets and the Yankees. And I think that uh, – me, Paul versus uh, Baron Alex. We have very differing opinions on each player. So this week we're going to go with a little first baseman matchup and me and Paul are going to take the side of Pete Alonzo and Alan Bear will be taking the side of Luke Voigt. So boys, if you want to, uh, Alan Bear, if you want to uh, take your side and defend Luke Voigt on why he is better than Pete Alonzo. Go ahead. Well, you look at 2020 and you look at Luke Voigt versus Pete Alonzo. Luke Voigt is just clearly just the reigning winner of that. He led the league in home runs. Basically, every stat except walks, he had better than Pete Alonso. And the one main difference I see between Luke Voigt and Pete Alonso is that Pete Alonso just has too much swing and miss in his game. He's a guy, yes, he absolutely crushes the ball, but you look at his like strikeout percentage, you look at his swing and miss percentage, he's bottom 20, 30% of the league. When Luke Voigt's a guy that hovers around average, and especially playing in that Yankee Stadium, you always hear the argument of, oh, it's a short porch. But Luke Voigt, yes, it is a short porch. He uses that to his advantage. He's a smarter hitter than Pete Alonso. He doesn't try to absolutely kill the ball every time he's up there, although he does hit the ball very hard and just not as hard as Pete Alonso. He just sits back. He'll poke one to right every couple at-bats. It'll get out. He doesn't out. use it to his advantage. He just hits the ball. 
it, it goes out because it's Yankee Stadium. It's three fourteen to right field. Well, he's big, strong. He's got those huge biceps. He'll just yeah. So so does Pete Alonso. He's big, strong. He's got a big belly. Well, I, Paul, I, I do have to agree with Luke Voigt, uh, Luke Voigt a little bit there. Pete Alonso isn't a guy who's trying to poke balls out of the yard. He's swinging as hard as no, he can. Yeah, the obviously. He's, but what I will he's say, Barris, I think you can't just talk about 2020 and negate the fact that Pete Alonso had a ridiculous 2019. Um, I think it's a little unfair in a pandemic year with only 60 games to really say uh, Luke Voigt is that much I, better. I personally, like, even like forget about Mets Yankees comparison. I personally hate comparing players in 2020 to what the way they were in the past because. Obviously, Christian Yelich, for instance, is a top seven player in baseball, and he had a terrible 2020. Obviously, that's not who he is. He's not that player who's going to have consistently like 220 averages. That's not who he is. Mike Trout even said he had a bad year. He hit like 285 with like 17 home runs, which would translate to like a 50 home run season. Obviously, not a bad season, but he thinks it's a bad year. He's not a guy who's going to hit 285 every season. He's a guy who's going to hit you know, around 300. I just think it's unfair to compare a 60 game pandemic season where there's a lot of more pressure on guys like Pete Alonso who had more pressure on him because he had 53 home runs his rookie year. And, you know, you got to pressure on him because you know what, he was our best hitter in 2019 probably. And, you know, now he wants, he had to step up and he didn't. So that's what, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I will agree with Paul here that, that Pete Alonso was the blunt of many, uh, many pitchers uh, in the way that they were really attacking him. But I mean, you could make the argument that that Mets lineup was so loaded that they really couldn't pitch around anybody. They had to go get guys and Pete Alonso kind of, it was his fault that he couldn't really get up to pitches. But I think that what's uh, what's not noticed is the fact that if this was a 162 game season, the uh, stats show that Pete Alonso would have had 45 home runs and 95 RBIs. If we would have talked about that last year and he would have done that, nobody would be even having this argument because back-to-back 40-plus home run seasons is not something you're going to compare to Luke Voigt. Obviously, great year for Luke Voigt. I think he's got to prove it this year to really show you. That Luke, Luke Voigt, before he got to the Yankees, was a, I, to be honest, I'm not going to say he was a nobody, but I knew who he was, but he wasn't. You know, somebody I was going to say, wow, this guy's, you know, a great piece yeah, that yeah, they just but, traded but Paul, for. But Paul, no, no, you can definitely see that Luke Void is an improved player. You saw yes, obviously. I don't, obviously, think, I don't obviously. think you can say it's a, I don't think it's a fluke that Luke Void is good. I don't think he is as good as he showed in 2020. I still think he's a 20, good player. 2020 was a year of, like, anomalies. And I, I think that, you know, it's not an anomaly that he was good. It was just an anomaly that he had that good of a season. Mm-hmm. in that 60 game period of time. I also think it was an anomaly that Trevor Howard had that good of a season in 2020. I don't think he's going to repeat that. He'll be good. I just don't think he's going to repeat okay. the one seven he put up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should probably move on from this topic. Thank you guys for your input on there, but I think we can talk about Fernando Tatis and how this also leads into Francisco Lindor's ascension. But first we'll talk about how he signed a 14 year, $340 million deal to be stuck with the Padres for a long time. Um, I think this deal is great for baseball in the sense that, uh, you know, guys are getting paid for what they're worth. And, you know, we'll talk about the, uh, the Mariners GM later and how that fiasco has gone. But I, I think it just goes to show that, you know, the MLB is finally starting to turn towards the players. And I think that's something that the fans want to see because when the players are happy, that means they're going to play well and the fans are going to be happy. Um, that deal includes no opt-outs, which is a little uh, interesting for Fernando Tatis himself. Uh, because we've seen it with Nolan Arenado when the Rockies signs a big deal and he gets upset. Uh, he had opt-outs available. He requested a trade before that. But I think uh, the no opt-outs really leads Tatis to be requesting a trade if he gets any sort of angry. Paul, what do you think? 
You know, I uh, I like the deal for Tatis. Obviously, you know, he's making a buttload of money. I I, I also, you know, I'm concerned that he's not getting like the opt outs. He's dealing with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are just a like the basically the best franchise in baseball right now. I I think they're the team to beat. Obviously, they just won, so you know they're the team to beat. And now that the Dodgers, you know, they've gotten better with Bauer, and I think that. Tatis is going to have to deal with that terrible, like, you know, division. Like, he's going to have to compete. You got to win 110 games basically to win the division, in my opinion. It's going to be tough. Um, yeah, I want to piggyback off of you guys. And I just want to say that um, I really like how smart these players and teams are getting with the um, their new contracts. And you know, players are starting to realize that, you know, they only get one to two free agencies in their career. And I just want to bring up some cool facts that I thought that uh, that was about Fernando Tatis's uh, contract. I mean, if you think 30, 340 million, you're like, Oh, at least 30 million, 25 must $25 million plus. I mean, but Fernando Tatis isn't getting paid $25 million plus until 2029, which is a crazy thought. I mean, I'm also going to bring up how Bauer's contract is pretty insane. If you really think about it, the guy's making $45 million. I mean, $45 million pretty much per year. He's going to be able to opt out in two years, making him almost a $100 million player in two years, which I thought was really um, smart by the players. And, I mean, if you look at what the San Diego Padres are going to be doing, they obviously have um, a lot of a um, uh, farm system and, you know, young talent. But I also think that um, that they're going to be winning now. And, you know, Fernando Tatis is, is, is making $10, 20000000 million. And, and I think that, the Padres are now are able to go get somebody for them to be able to be even better than they, what they are, even though they have like one of the highest paid infields in them in the show. Uh, we're going to move to Hunter, but I just want to make a quick point before I forget. I'm um, sorry, Hunter. I, I'm kind of going to cut you off here. I think it's interesting what the Padres did, because that's basically telling you that they're going for this win now period. And once Tatis's guild gets towards 36, whatever it is, that's when that they're going to start to regress. I mean, you're going to have to pay Manny Machado as well. I don't think we can forget that. So that means that they're going to want to at least go after another guy, and I think you'll see that. But the Padres are in win now, and they have to complete compete and win a World Series in this next four- to five-year window. I mean, it'd be no excuses for them. And if it happens, uh, it kind of reminds me of Albert Pujols' deal with the Angels right now. Uh, I mean, they're kind of just stuck with him. And uh, to be honest, they're trying to hope he retires. But, uh, Bear, if you wanted to uh, make a quick point, Sorry, I cut you off there. Look, if I'm a Padres fan, I'm absolutely ecstatic about this deal. Tatis is a guy that, although he has not played 162 games, he's looking to be the future of baseball, the face of the Padres franchise. And if you're paying a guy like 10 years down the road to be your best player and the face of baseball, 20-something million dollars a deal a year, that's an absolute steal for the production that you're getting out of Tatis. At the same time, God forbid anything horrible happens to him, that deal could be absolutely terrible. It could go in the gutter because you're paying him 20 million, 20 something million a year to do absolutely nothing, like a Chris Davis type deal. Oh, I, could see going either, I could see it going either way for. I, I, no, I wouldn't, no I wouldn't possible, say like Chris Davis deal. No, no, I, I, I think no, no. different. Bear does have a point here with the injury. I mean, injuries are bound to happen to everybody. It's just if he can limit them. 
But I think it is a little scary that they did this deal this fast. I would have given another year. Let him. Let him yeah, so would I. I. I definitely agree with you on I'm, that. I'm not against the deal. I don't think it's something that like is over the top. It's not like if like the Knicks signed Tobbs Gibson for five years, 100 million. I mean, they signed Fernando Tatis. This is a world-renowned player. But yeah. If I was if I was GM for the Padres, I'm probably giving it another year just to make sure you really want to give them all of that money, and you're basically selling your franchise. You're saying this is win now. This is it. Um. I don't mean to cut you off here, John. We're running out of time here. So, you know, we we record on Zoom. We record on Zoom. So they only give us 40 minutes. So we're trying to cram this in. Uh, So, you know, we want to talk about the NFL. We can talk a little bit about the Tiger Woods situation. It's really up to you guys, whatever you want to do. What do you think? So, I mean, I was, I want to talk about the, you know, the Mariner situation. I think, you know, another, another, you know, big name front office member out West. I completely forgot his name, nor do Who I care. Who cares? That guy doesn't even deserve to have his name. He doesn't deserve, me, doesn't deserve my, me calling him by his name. So uh, not many of you guys probably know what happened, but uh, basically he resigned a couple of days ago as president of the Mariners organization. And he went on a, I think like a podcast. No, it was like an setting. interview with rotary phone interview, members. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. He went on an no, interview no. with rotary phone members and basically did a uh, telltale of the Mariners organization. And it wasn't uh, very positive information. He talked about uh, Jared Kalanick, the top prospect, and other prospects, how he wants to uh, wait on uh, letting them go in the MLB to give them extra service time. If you don't know, in the MLB, uh, when a guy comes up, his service time starts, so his contract begins. So if you, the longer you wait on a guy, the longer his contract becomes. So you don't usually you don't see rookies come up right away. They wait two weeks, and then they get an extra year on their contract. So he openly admitted to doing that, which although every team does it, you don't, you're not supposed to uh, explain that you're yeah, opening, it. openingly opening to that. And, and, and that's going to lead to Jared Kalanick filing a grievance and he's going to win a big lawsuit. And as well as his, com- his comment about uh, the translators regarding Isashi Akuma. And I think also, was it Julio Rodriguez? Yes, um, yes, yes. He made, he made comments related to the fact that he didn't want to pay those translators and that if the guys didn't learn English, he would fire their translators. Which is terrible, Absolutely by the way. Absolutely disgusting comments. Not necessary at all. Uh, and I think that uh, one of the reporters asked the question. They said, what do you think about Julio Rodriguez? The guy goes, yeah, I think he's a good guy, but he, uh, he doesn't speak English well. Completely unnecessary comment. And I'm very They asked about him as a prospect, and you talk about how he can't speak English and how his confidence is off the roof. And we're going to give credit to uh, John Boy Media. He came out with the video really uh, downbreaking everything. So if you want to go look at that, uh, we can put the link in the description of the podcast. Great video. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was pretty funny. Uh, but yes, it's just it crazy to see how honest he really was. I mean, does every team do it? I think if you had to if, if, if gun to these GM's head, they would probably give close to the same answer. But the fact that he was willing to say that to a Zoom recorded meeting is absurd. I almost feel like he's getting yeah. paid to do it. It, it, it just oh, boggles me. It's very bad. I also, I, I do think the worst thing out of all of the things he said in that interview, he mentioned Kyle Seeger, you know, he's a great vet. He said he's a great veteran player, great presence in their locker room. He's great to the organization, but he also goes in as saying that it's going to be his last year on the Mariners. <laughs> it, I like, I don't understand why he would even say it, something that stupid. It's not like he's retired. It's not like if he's the 32, Yankees, it's not like if Derek Jeter was like his last year and they and the Yankees were like, yeah, Derek Jeter announced his retirement. It stinks. He's not going to be back with the team next season. The guy he is in, a, a, in near his prime. And you're outright saying he's not going to be with the team next season. Yeah, he like probably just exited his prime. I would yeah. say. I would like, say, yeah, still a yeah, decent probably player. Exited though, his prime, yeah. But letting him like openly admitting to letting him walk after this season, like Nuts. 
First off, that's going to do nothing for your team. It's honestly going to make it worse, knowing that the leader of that team, basically, he's been there for, what, like 10 years now? Mm-hmm. And you're going to let the leader of your team walk and openingly say you're going to let him walk? Just not going to be good for morale on the team, especially with Kyle Seeger. His wife tweeted, should we just sell our house now since yeah. they're leaving? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and if you think this is not going to continue with other teams and the Samar- Seattle Mariners anyway, I don't think it really matters because they're going to do the exact same thing. These All these teams are doing it. It doesn't really matter. There's going to need to be a rule change. But uh, quickly, we have less than a minute, so we want to get our uh, our conclusion done. Follow us on TikTok, Rush Hour Pod, Twitter, pod underscore rush, Instagram, Rush Hour Sports Pod. Thank you guys for coming on today. And from all of us here at Rush Hour Pod, have a good one. Peace. Peace.